All right, well, I am so thrilled to be here with you guys. Dylan, Erica Timmons, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me, and welcome to The Jason Wright Show. Thank you. Thank you. And to our audience out there, it has been a minute since I've actually done a live uh, interview, so you guys, I've I'm, I'm, I'm almost gotten out of practice from doing this. Whenever I first started my show, that's what I would do. I would drive all over the state interviewing people, you know, from Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, you know. So it's kind of nice to, in this kind of on the back end of COVID era, to actually be in front of people again. So this is fun. I want to learn about you guys personally. I want to learn about you as um, educators and how this whole idea of the Acton Academy came about. So, you know, Dylan, you keep pointing to Erica as the educator and the one who kind of discovered this idea of the Acton Academy. So where does this story begin? Well, I've been an educator for, for a while. I spent eight years in a traditional classroom. And then I uh, branched out a little bit, did my own thing with a really small uh, micro school with a handful of gymnasts. And really it was in my research about how to work best with them uh, that I came across the Acton model. So I was researching all kinds of micro schools, trying to figure out how to do it better. So, uh, and I came across the Acton model and then it's just been um, diving deeper and deeper into it since then. Once I, once I kind of um, read a little bit about what Jeff and Laura Sandifer were doing down in Austin and um, the other Actons around the world, I told Dylan, uh, we either are moving to Austin uh, so, our, so our own children can go to Acton or we're gonna start our own because now that I know about it, there's, there's nothing else that, that's gonna work for us. So we decided we're just gonna jump in and do it, start our own. All right, so, so tell me a little bit about, and either one of you can take this, tell me a little bit about what acting is versus a traditional education, if, if, or, or is it the traditional education, and now we're in something different, whatever the case may be, however you wanna classify that. What was it you were looking for that you weren't finding that made you go, there's got to be an alternative, and then kind of describe what acting is and how it met that need. The so I was working with these this group of, of gymnasts that mm -hmm. did gymnastics pretty much full time, and they were ranging from third graders through seventh graders, and they did school part time. So I was essentially um, trying to trying to give each of these people a great education. Um, when they were all at different levels, and I knew, I, I knew there were better, there had to be a better way than just sitting them at a desk with textbooks and um, trying to work through a traditional way. So, um, Acton takes each learner as an individual and puts them in control of their own education. Okay. Essentially, we it starts with even just the way we look at a learner. Um, we don't we don't have a top-down um, method where it's the teacher is the is the uh, in control of this classroom and just makes all the decisions we even change the terminology we have guides and a guides job is really just to be the adult in the room a lot of times uh, and the learners take control of every aspect from the moment they walk in the door we look at each learner as a as a hero, as a genius, um, who has the ability to change the world in some way. We just want to guide them through and help them find their passions, help them find what they're, what they can do in this in the world. So, um, so really, the biggest difference is how we look at them, and then from there, we just want to equip them with the things they need to fulfill their calling. So, am I thinking about it right? Whenever I, kind of compared to Montessori? Is it it's kind of a Montessori model? And if if not, what are the differences? I mean, that's just, and that, that's literally from a guy who's completely, you know, doesn't know anything about early education other than kind of the different models. And it's kind of what it sounds like. Am I right on that? And what are the differences? Yeah, I think it's a evolution of Montessori a little bit, right? And if you look at Jeff's story and his boys, they talk about how they went up through Montessori to a certain age and you know, at some point they kind of aged out and then I think they're if I remember right you know they kind of went to the 
the best private school in Austin, you know, and it was like all of a sudden these almost chains were put on them and they kind of had to sit at a desk and do all these things that they weren't aligned with. And um, I, I think that that inflection point, again, I won't tell his story, but, you know, built his desire to change education for the better and bring bring it into the 21st century, essentially, you know, so it is, I call it Montessori inspired very often, especially with our younger, younger learners. So. We're, we're very impacted by Maria Montessori and her, uh, her view of the child. So Maria Montessori, it all really boils down to follow the child. Um, and we, so we take that, but I, I often say it's, it's almost as if Mon- Montessori meets 21st century. Yeah. So we pull in a lot of, a lot more technology and things that perhaps a, mo- a traditional Montessori studio wouldn't do, but the way we look at a child is very similar to the way Maria Montessori would. And she's, she's got a really inspiring, really inspi- inspiring story, so. Yeah, and so tell me about how the, where does the, the name derive? I mean, I know who, like I said, Blinken, I know Lord Acton. So what, where did, you know, the founders of the Acton Academy model, uh, Jeff and, tell me his wife's name? Uh, Laura. Jeff and Laura, okay. Where, how does, what did Lord Acton envision and why, why, how did that come into play with this model? I think, uh, you know, Lord Acton's famous for the saying, uh, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So I I think that, you know, again, I can't speak for Jeff, but I know there's a big push to, you know, let the, let the learners come to learning uh, on their own. That was Maria Montessori's thing. Let them play, let them discover, let them, let them be explorers essentially of knowledge, you know? And uh, I'm sure Jeff has some uh, direct ties to act and they bring it along, but I think that whole thought process of, um, you know, power being corruptive and, you know, having someone that's kind of lording over, you know, a learner or, or anyone for that matter, you know, is uh, not the right model, you know. So I think that's probably a good part of the instrument. And so tell me kind of like from your perspective, what child, if not all, is the perfect kind of like, all right, this is a child that, like, for example, just again, from a lay person, uh, and, and I, this all makes such Montessori and something to this effect where a child gets to find something that they really love and they're passionate about and then kind of dive in and, you know, get deeper on that as opposed to, with the exception of the actual fundamentals, learning, you know, proper grammar and, you know, that sort of thing, uh, mathematics. When they find an interest that they can dive into, they're going to just learn better because they're actually interested in it, right? And that's how they're going to ultimately serve the world better. I think of Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, it's kind of interesting if y'all have ever read the Da Vinci story, he's one of my muses, and the, my motto is improve always and always, and that stems back to Da Vinci's Vitruvian man and trying to drive the, uh, draw the perfectly proportioned human being. And he was actually never claimed by his father, who was a notary, and had Leonardo Da Vinci been claimed, as, as if his father had claimed him, he probably would have had to have been an apprentice and then become a notary. Well, because that wasn't the case, he was free to explore all these different things, and that's why he was ultimately a polymath, is because he was able, so having that as a guide, that's why I love what Acton Academy is all about. So tell me and tell the listener who might be out there going, I just can't imagine taking my child out of public school or a well-established private school and going with something kind of small, I don't know, but Give me the, not the sales pitch, that sounds kind of slick, but give me the testimonial to that parent that might think, you know, my child is bored that I've had. And again, this is the lay person thinking, I've got my son in a, a classroom and now they're saying that he's ADD and they're wanting to put him on meds. And, you know, I've read the literature and I'm thinking maybe that what he's quote unquote learning just doesn't interest him, but I know at home, whenever I get him outside working with his hands, there's no ADD there. He's, he finds a sense of what I read as flow and he's in, in the zone. And so maybe there's a different form of education delivery for him. So I hear that. Give me the testimonial or for Acton Academy and what the child, why that child might need to be in a different setting like Acton Academy. Okay. Well, I personally believe that any child 
would benefit from this type of education uh, because they get to be themselves. So we have lots of success stories from, and each one of them is so different than the other that it's hard for me to, to quantify um, a specific kind of child that it's best for. Um, I will say the younger they are, the easier the transition. And that is sadly because the younger they are, the less likely they are to have already lost that, that spark where they really are still curious and want to learn. But I will also say that when we've had older learners come in, as long as their family, as long as their parents, their families, and, and the learner themselves are okay with the weight um, to let that spark come back, then, then anyone can fit here. The waiting, sometimes when they're older, it takes a little longer for that spark to come back and for them to really believe that we really will let them take control of their own education, learn about the things they're passionate about, um, enjoy learning the core skills that, that everybody needs, because um, we still cover those. We just take away the timeline um, that, that traditional schools would say, everyone should be on the same timeline. Mm -hmm. uh, we take that away. So. Um, I think it's more about a family fit than it is about a specific learner. I think pretty much any learner can fit here because we're fine with waiting. Um, we, we actually really love that wait time. We get to see their eyes brighten. Um, we get to see them observe. And then once they get the ball rolling, um, it is quick. Yeah. They, they make up for lost time, uh, lost years that they've had before they got here, honestly. so. Um, it's more of a family fit because sometimes uh, when when they when a family is used to traditional education and used to getting that uh, report card in October, and we don't give them a report card in October, that's when they start to think, wait, what have they been doing? What what's been happening? But um, there's there's just a little bit of wait. Yeah. But I think any learner can can fit here. Yeah. One of the interesting things too about the the model is we still we actually push for mastery so. Um, whereas, you know, in a traditional school setting with 20 to 30 students in a classroom, everybody has to go at a certain pace. If they're ahead, they're bored. If they're behind, they're struggling, right? Uh, and then you get, you, you get a label or you get a, you know, a, you get a, you get an attachment to them telling you you're something you're not, you know? And so w by working to mastery and letting people work at their own pace, they will inevitably, uh, run up against failure, right? They will get to a math, something in math that is very hard that is a hard concept that they, it takes them a while to get to get through, you know, the, the, the thing with the parent is, is can you be okay with when they hit that failure, not rescuing them? You know, can you let those roots grow a little bit? Can you let that growth occur in your child and let them get that win, you know, versus, you know, finding them a tutor or going to after school or, you know, uh, taking the test again, you know, or whatever it takes or summer school, you know, to get them through that, you know, um, and that's that's the biggest thing. It's, it's the parent. I think any kid. I think we've seen a young person that come through here that, given a little bit of time to get those institutional like burdens off of them, they excel. You know, we we've seen it many times. You know, have you guys done looked at any of Carol Dweck's research yes. by chance? Okay, so we love Carol Dweck. Okay, yes. yeah. So you under so that's why I've got to imagine that one of the things and, and look. To the listener, I have no vested interest in it. This isn't like some secret advertisement for Acton Academy Tyler. So for the Tyler listeners, I'm not trying to, I just, I'm jazzed about this. I'm a geek on this sort of thing. And, and what Carol Dweck, you know, she's the one who pioneered the idea of a fixed versus growth mindset. And it seems to me what you guys are promoting is allowing for a growth mindset to take hold. And one of my favorite stories ever, whenever Dr. Dweck first started her research was, uh, I guess it was in Chicago where there was, and, and Dylan, this speaks to what you were just saying about, the, and, well, both of you, about the report cards and kind of taking the time, is they didn't get pass, fail, A, B, C, D grades. They instead would get, if they didn't reach the passing standard, they would get a not yet grade. Mm -hmm. And that's when Carol Dweck came up with this whole idea of yet, the power of the word yet. And it seems like in a setting like what you guys are offering, that that would be, uh, something that you know the child would naturally and that that is tough for a parent I gotta imagine because they're used to like oh my gosh is my 
is my, my kid a, a, an A student, a B student, and, 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 and then trying to tell them that, hey, just because they bring home an A, don't start telling them how smart they are because then they'll, they'll start identifying as opposed to that, that grade, I'm smart, versus how hard they work to get that. Another thing that you mentioned, and it might have been in, the, in some of Dr. Dweck's uh, research or one of her in, in the book Mindsets, but I know I read a study on NASA, they were trying to create a more creative atmosphere amongst their engineers. And one of the, the tests, that it, it, no it wasn't Dr. Dweck, it was another researcher that came up with a test that essentially he, he, gave a, uh, he set a jar of M&Ms out. And he asked all these NASA, literally rocket scientists, to come up with different uses for the jar of M&Ms. And the more creative engineers would come up with all these different uses. It's because they were trying to tease out creativity, which I think you guys could probably speak to. You get to see that. But a traditional education doesn't always pull out this kind of nebulous thing that is creativity. And so what the test was so accurate to figuring out the creativity of the engineers. that, And it was also such a simple exam. The guy said, well, this, might, this will work even on children. And here's the thing. Erica, to completely confirm, and to the listener, to completely confirm scientifically what you just said about the creativity being stifled. The younger children that would take this test that the doctor developed would actually score higher on creativity than, on average, than the NASA rocket scientists. And the reason why was because of exactly what you said. As the children would grow older, they would get squeezed into a kind of the fundamental traditional lane of just education and creativity kind of gets stifled. Whereas I got to believe in an environment like this, creativity is something that flourishes. And so could you talk a little bit about not only the, the, the creativity that you see, but just to that, again, that parent that's out there that thinks, no, my child must be proficient in the STEM you know, STEM sciences. That's what, that's all I care about. Talk a little bit to the listener about the power of creativity, especially in the, the economic, the, the economy we live in now. I mean, most people don't have it. They don't get a job and stay with the company for 30 years. So talk a little bit about how creativity works in, in the Acton Academy and why that is important for a child's overall development. I think, uh, Maybe the best way I can answer that is to talk about the way we approach science um, in that we approach it from a very curious place um, and we know that questions beget questions in science and that's really what we're looking for. We're just looking for the next question and then we're going to dive into things the best we can um, and they're going to they're gonna dive into it themselves. but we don't have this prescribed list of, of skills they've got to learn or memorize because what we know about these learners is that just like our jobs, there was no Acton Academy guide when I was a child. And there, what the, even um, Dylan as a network engineer, no one was doing that when he was a child. Um, so we know that we're, we're really just one step on a path toward them doing things we've never heard of before. So Absolutely. for me to try to put them in a box or a or try to come up with some list of things they need to know, I have no idea what they need to know. But what I, what they they need to be able to approach something new and different um, with curiosity and with the ability to. It's okay if you're wrong. Like it's all right. Wrong steps are just another step. Absolutely. Um, so I think I'm I'm not sure that 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 exactly answers your question, but I think it's just the approach to um, a lot of things don't have a right answer, and when you approach it from that perspective, it opens up these doors where they just get to freely explore possibilities, um, and I don't know of a child who's not creative. They and I don't know of a human who's not, who doesn't have a pocket of creativity either. Um, it just gets hidden. And it gets hidden over time when you get bombarded with the idea that you're wrong 
over and over and over again or that your creativity is not useful in some way, then you start to hide it. Like, why, why would you keep using that? So here, um, we call uh, wrong answers. We kind of just, uh, what was it, Thomas Edison? That says, uh, I'm going to misquote, but basically he said, you know, it took him 10,000 tries to, to get to the light bulb. Right. Um, the wrong answers or a misstep or a failure, it's just it's just another step on your path and you can't get very far without them. So we celebrate the wrong answers just as much as we celebrate the right answers or even it's just, it's just a, it's just a step. Yeah. So, um, creativity, it's not just, we have, it's not as if we're like, Oh, for this hour of the day, we're going to be creative. We approach everything in a creative way. Yeah. Um, so, I love that. Cause you're teaching them how to think. I mean, essentially, yeah. you know, and it's like, uh, Elon Musk, I think that's one of the geniuses of Elon Musk, is he, uh, whenever he decided that he wanted to uh, build a rocket, one of the things that he realized was how expensive it was to build rockets, and he also realized that, well, that's because at NASA, they were being manufactured elsewhere, so he just started figuring out, how much does the raw material cost, and could I save money by making them myself, and that's the genius of SpaceX, is that he set up a manufacturing facility, and that's why he can make a rocket much less expensive. So that's just creative thinking. And, right? they, and they wasn't afraid to blow up a few rockets exactly. on the path, right? Like, so. If I blow something up, yeah. to your point, and going back to Carol Dweck's work and, and Thomas Edison, I didn't make a bunch of mistakes. I found out a bunch of different ways to not make a light bulb, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And, all right, so, well, I guarantee you the parent that's hearing this, they're hearing a lot of, oh, my gosh, I dropped my kid off, and what, they can just kind of do whatever they want? So... Uh, and that can be a scary thing. I know mm-hmm. when my, my daughters, you know, like I told you uh, before I, you know, we've started, I've got one that just finished uh, college and one that finishes next year. But if it were, if I were starting all over again to drop them off and go, so Dylan and Erica, you're telling me that Rylan and Abby are just going to go in there and find their passion and then just go kind of do whatever they want. That sounds a little woo woo to me, guys. I'm a little tripping here. I mean, they're going to learn something, right? And we're going to celebrate failure. Oh my gosh, I'm type B, type A. I can't have that. So for that parent that's out there, that's a kind of a, a, a type A nut job like me, and make them understand what it means for their child to show up to the acting Academy. And how do you guys start to identify, ah, so this is where your passion lies. How do you do that? But also make sure that they get just some fundamentals that they might need. So what does that look like? Yeah, maybe, Eric, you can talk about guide as game maker, right? And that's part of it is setting up games, setting up. And we don't mean like Monopoly, but like how do you, how do you acquire skills in a fashion that's somewhat gamified yeah. and, uh, you know, you get rewarded along the way, right? So. So what we know is that learners learn at up to 10 times the pace if they enjoy, if they enjoy it, or if, there's a, if, they're, if the goal is really applicable to them. Yep. So we have kind of two categories. We have what's really interesting to them. We don't really have to, we don't have to manipulate that at all. It's just they, they love it on their own. But there's a whole category of things that maybe they don't love that are still necessary. So our job becomes, how do we make that worthwhile to them? We approach that a few different ways, but Dylan mentioned the first, the guide is a game maker. So we are constantly creating an atmosphere where, um, I mean, we, we could probably split it down the middle with learners who are just naturally interested in numbers and problem solving and learners who are not so we might make a game that is just an incentive to get people um, going on on earning their learning their skills and doing the next step Um, so yes they do get to do a lot of what they want to do there's a lot of freedom here Um, but just like we tell them freedom and responsibility are hand in hand so to keep these freedoms, there's a lot of responsibility to go along with it, but we do make it as fun as we can. We know that if, we, if they want to do the math, they're gonna learn 10 times as much than if they don't. So we focus our efforts on what do we need to do to get this specific learner to want to do the math? And a lot of times that's a game. Sometimes it's a privilege or an incentive or something. Um, and that's how we approach that kind of, that, 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 part that they 
that they're not necessarily interested in just when they walk in the door. We do cover all the core subjects. Um, now we don't say, oh, you're eight years old, you must be at this place. Just like I wouldn't say that to an adult. I wouldn't say, oh, you're 35 years old, you should know these things. Um, we don't do that to children either. Uh, most of the time, they're ahead of the curve as far as what they do in their core skills, but um, we're not worried about it if they're not because we know they'll get there. We just gotta find the thing that interests them. Um, so we, we do lots of incentivizing and lots of peer work together. Um, if, because some of them, they just need, they just need a, we call it a running partner. They need somebody to come alongside them and encourage them. We do lots of encouragement, lots of equipping them with the tools they need and lots of connecting. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers and the, the freedom and responsibility being hand-in-hand, hand too, is, I mean, yeah, they have freedom levels. So mm -hmm. as they start out, if they're not putting in the work, you know, uh, at some point their freedom level will be reduced, you know, and they'll have to kind of, uh, like, right. sit and do some grinding if they have to. Yeah, you know, a so. guide will step in if they're in a lower freedom level. And and really, we don't we don't ever scold or shame. That That's a, that's a strict never-on-campus um, situation. But... We'll come alongside a learner and just ask them some questions and encourage them and help them um, set set reachable goals for themselves to get going. We, we often talk about our three um, biggest obstacles on what we call our hero's journey, which is, uh, you know, not original to Acton. But uh, we say every every learner hero is a, is a hero on a journey. And on that journey, you face obstacles and um resistance, distraction, and victimhood. So a lot of times when somebody is hitting a roadblock, we go back to those three and say, you know, what's what's holding you back here? Is it resistance? You just kind of don't want to do it? Yeah. Is it victimhood? Are you blaming somebody else or your situation? Or is it distraction? Are you just struggling with focus? And what's the first step we need to take to tackle that obstacle? So it's less of a, I'm gonna sit down and help you learn how to add, and more of, I'm gonna sit down with you and we're gonna talk this through and figure out what is really holding you back, and then you're gonna tackle that yeah. and, and conquer it. God, um, that's gotta be so awesome for these kids. And it, this is why it just jives with me. I mean, so basically you just described so many of the elements of logotherapy and Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, right? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's finding the purpose and the meaning in the struggle. And then also what Stephen Kotler and Peter Diamantis and all these amazing thinkers, um, how the, the, the techniques they use to get to a state of flow and, and absolute extreme focus, you know, and, and realizing that it's, it's so funny. You, you mentioned, Erica, the struggle is because I literally, it's either in my last week's Vitruvian letter or this one where I wrote about using struggle as a superpower because you have to get through the struggle phase before you can get into the state of flow. And so for these kids, I mean, my gosh, what, how amazing is that going to be as they become adults to go, you know, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn to my Instagram because I'm working on a problem that's hard. I'm just going to kind of deflect and go and, and get that little dopamine hit to kind of get me distracted. No, I'm going to stay. I'm going to fight through this struggle phase because I know on the other side of that struggle, man, that's whenever the, the neurochemicals will start flowing and I can tackle this. And I love that. How do you prepare? And this is this is kind of, I'm a geek, I'll, I'll say it. I'll own that. I'm a nerd, so this stuff, I'm like, you know, I'm jazzed up about it. Most parents aren't like that. They're not reading about, they're not reading Carol Dweck and Viktor Frankl and all that stuff because they're, they're busy doing other things. They're raising their kids, whatever. Again, I'm a nerd. How do you get the parents on board and understanding these things like that to be able to, to that their child is about to not just learn how to do arithmetic not just learn the foil method of you know for doing algebra right can't believe i still remember that but they're gonna learn strategies and tactics on how to approach the problems how do you do you guys have like an orientation for the parents to go all right you, congratulations parents you've obviously shown you got some some nerve to even be here because this is so different but now let me tell you what to expect and how you can work, walk, walk alongside us with, as the guides for your children on their hero's journey, what does that kind of, that process look like to bring? As you said, it's a family deal, right? So, mm -hmm. how do you go through that with the parents? 
so we in the in the enrollment process we get to know each family really well so that's the first thing is that we really build relationship to start with Um, and because we're small we can do that and that is why the Acton model is a micro school model it's not made to not made to accommodate a thousand uh, learners in one in one campus. And what do those numbers look like, Erica? I mean, what does it look like? On any given day, how many students will you have? We have about 25. Okay, and will they about all be at the learners. same time? or do mm-hmm. they come? Okay. Yep, we're here 8 to 3, Monday okay. through Friday. Okay. Um, so the first, the first uh, step is just building that relationship. And then from there, they have they do have reading lists and things like that that we hope they do, but uh, I mean, we know they, they don't a lot of times. So um, it's just maintaining that relationship. We have parent meetings where we help the parents. Um, and when I say parent meeting, it's not like a parent-teacher meeting. At a parent meeting, we do our very best not to talk about their any specific child. We really, it's more of a team building and a feeding it feeding into the parents' needs for creativity. One of our uh, parent contracts, uh, which Acton, well, I don't know that we'll get into the contract part of what Acton is about, but we do a lot of contracts as our, as agreements bet- for relationships here um, uh, and just how the learners even build their own for their studios, for how they're going to treat each other and how they're going to be in the studio. Um, but there's a parent contract and one of their agreements is that they will always be learning in some way so they'll have a project they're working on or a or a book they're reading or something that they can be sharing with their child so really rather than trying to say here are all the things we do um, and I hope you and and try to get them to understand every single thing we really try to help them know how to have a conversation with their child about it because it takes us weeks to build the systems here at the beginning of the year. We, we set aside a, a lot of time at the beginning of the year to build the systems and processes that, that make this place work with the learners. We don't do that without them uh, because they have got to run it. Uh, so they need to be a part of the building. Um, so it's less about us saying, here's how every little thing works and more about saying, hey, your child is respected and trusted on this campus with building this. They know how it all works. Ask them. Like, ask them what happened today. And we equip them with questions and um, ways to talk to their child about the thing. So it's, it's less about me telling every parent how everything works. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It kind of blows our minds at times when we talk about the fact that the, the learners deal with any behavior issues and things. They have their own counsel mm-hmm. and, you know, like the guides aren't like some outside force that's going to come in and, you know, make sure everyone's acting right and everything, you know. I mean, even that whole relational uh, step of a tribe and a community is handled by them. So. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right. So now tell me about assessment, though. I mean, because at the end of the day, I mean, you've got parents that want their, if, if they want their kids to go to college, which I'm... I'm a, I tell you what, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know, I don't know that that's the best ROI. Again, having almost put two children through college now, I'm like, hmm, well, was that the best idea? But I will save that for a different podcast, all right? <laughs> um, so, but ultimately, we're still a very credential-based society, you know, America, and we love our credentialing. So there's a lot of their parents are going to go, all right, guys, you know, I trust you, but I want my child to go to college. What does the assessment look like? Are there exams? How do you do they prepare specifically for standardized testing? Just kind of what what is that part of the, this look like? You know, well, the interesting thing about the educational piece is we we build everything towards mastery, right? So once they get through math, math's an easy one to measure, right? They'll be at ninety five to one hundred percent of full knowledge of algebra or, or whatever subject it is. Once we get into our launch pad, and Eric can probably expand on this a little bit more, if college is their path, right? And I think something like 35% of Americans or something like that graduate college. So if college is their path, then they may choose to study for an SAT, an ACT, uh, and use a, you know, use a session to get ready for those tests, you know? They may choose, and apprenticeships and things like that, are, and entrepreneurship's a big part of what we do, too. They may choose to start a business, you know, uh, and not go to college. So then they'll focus on that kind of thing, you know? So. So, I tried, by the way, I tried to talk uh, my youngest into that because 
So I made this mistake of when they were really young. I'm the first generation college graduate. And so I just viewed it a little differently. I was like so, you know, just hell bent on both girls going to college and wherever you can go, if you can get in, if I have to sell bone marrow or whatever, I will get you there. But as I got older and, and I'd made that deal, so I was like, okay, but Rylan went off to the University of Alabama and then Abby, as she came up, I said, all right, I'll make you a deal. My wife and I both, we said, look, if you want to go to school, we completely appreciate that and, and I've made that commitment to you. But if you wanted to start a business instead, and Abby's more entrepreneurial than her sister Rylan, I said, we would also do that. So I love the idea that, you know, when you, when you say that, Dylan, I'm like, oh, that's awesome that these kids can even have that exposed to them that, hey, you understand there are alternatives to this thing called college. Um, you can do other things. So I love that, that talking apprenticeships, talking about entrepreneurship, that is a potential part of this. Because let's face it, in public school, and I may be wrong, maybe there's maybe things have changed, it appears that everybody's kind of like, no, everybody's either going off to, for an associate's degree, a bachelor degree, kind of that same old, just like like the, the post-industrial education that started to get, you know, factory workers ready to go out there and do the widgets, then we're still doing that stuff. And yeah. you guys are so not that, which is yeah. pretty cool. Seth, Seth Godin talks about that too. Like, Love because, uh, yeah, I think he had a con- uh, quote, and I'll probably butcher it too, but it was something along the lines when, you know, education is a system that you have mandatory things to do. And if something's mandatory, the only outcome is compliance, right? That's so that's, that's you know, that's the pipeline. So it's funny you mentioned uh, Seth Godin. You just reminded me that I've reached out to uh, someone that I've I met, that I connected with through LinkedIn, who went through the Alt MBA, oh, yeah. which, as you know, is his like alternative. And, mm-hmm. and again, like I told you guys, as someone who went through a traditional MBA, don't regret it. I mean, SMU's a good school. Cox mm-hmm. Business School is a great school, mm-hmm. but you know, and I think. There is there an acting mm-hmm. MBA in Austin? Yes, I have a friend um, uh, that's uh, what is Manny's last name. We we sit on a board at SFA together. That he mm-hmm. he said, hey, before you go to SMU, mm-hmm. you should check out the acting MBA. Yeah. So you know, anyway, yeah, that's yeah, we fun. have a family who's uh, we have the husband went there, the dad went through uh, the acting MBA too. It's so supposed to be very intense. Yeah. It's awesome, and just like the alt MBA that Seth founded mm-hmm. is so just more practical based knowledge you know and, and more there's more utility value uh, not that again don't want to knock mom I'm out of uh, you know SMU's great if you want to mm-hmm. go into private equity or whatever then okay I guess again yeah. it's the credential yeah. but there are well if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer exactly. you have to go that path right? exactly. there's no way around that so exactly okay okay so anyway the credentialing so they're so they're ready to go off to college if that's the path that they want to right and we do we do a uh, like a achievement test okay yearly to yearly or sometimes by it just depends sometimes every other year um just to keep tabs just to see i would it's just another piece of information we don't do any preparation for it um we really just we don't put any pressure on them we just say hey we're gonna do something different today and they actually usually just kind of love it because it's weird and different and they're like what is this and and we have snacks and we just have fun um so but they uh they typically just blow it out of the water um because they also they enjoy taking it because it's just something so different we put no pressure on them it's not the star it's just information for us a lot of the parents actually don't even care about it so um it's just information that sits in a file and Every once in a while we pull it out. It would help me to know if there was some big gap of something that we weren't we weren't addressing. Right. Um, but really that's the that's just another piece of information. Uh, and that's kind of how we approach that. But um, as far as Launchpad goes, Launchpad is what we call high school. Okay. And their big focus is next grade adventure. Like what is your next grade adventure? And that might be college. For some, it might be, it could be anything. So, uh, and then Launchpad becomes all about how do we prepare you for that? So yes, everyone graduates with a full transcript because in Texas you have to. Um, But (laughs) uh, more importantly than that, everyone gets to really spend time doing apprenticeships. They start those in middle school. So starting in the, the first year you're in middle school is your first apprenticeship and they do apprenticeships every year up through graduation. So they get to try different things and um, see 
if it's something they actually like before they, uh, you know, go to school and and pay a whole bunch of money to learn how to do something they don't want to do. Yeah. So they get to some real hands-on experience with different things. And then some of them don't want to go to college, and that's that's great too. They have they have a plan. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of our graduates will uh, will ever just want to sit around. Yeah. Uh, it's just. Well, it doesn't sound well again because just the very nature of you. See, I like this whole hero's journey thing that 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 you guys talk about because that's there's a big and a lot again a lot of people hear that and they go oh that's just kind of a euphemism for we're all special we're all heroes well no we're all on it and if you if you've read the book by Joseph Campbell you know the hero has a thousand faces or or just look at what the hero's journey is all the way dating back to Homer's Odyssey. No, there's, we're all to what you said earlier, earlier, Erica, we're always going to have obstacles. We're always going to feel like the victim. You know, Luke Skywalker felt sorry for himself when he couldn't lift his aircraft out. And Yoda was like, you know, you know, you've got to do this. He's on the hero's journey and the mentor came in and you guys, I guess the guides are kind of to serve as that mentor for a while on their journey, which I think is really cool. But just it's such a young age instilling in these kids that, hey, not all heroes wear capes. And a hero doesn't mean that you're going to be the, the Navy SEAL. You're not going to be a SEAL Team 6. But your heroic journey might be to raise a family. Mm-hmm. It might be to – but either way, your journey is yours. I just think that's cool. Again, at such a young age, these kids get that sort of – uh, mindset about them. So you got the growth mindset. You got the hero's journey. You guys are going to be graduating some dangerous, you know, individuals. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> so, so, um, so, well, well all right, tell me this: a big question. How much does it cost, you know, to be uh, to to attend Acton Academy? Uh, yeah, our, our tuition is I think sixty seven hundred dollars a year. Okay. Yeah, we there's we have uh, financial assistance okay. you know, up to fifty percent if needed. So. Okay. Yep. And then you mentioned earlier about Texas and the transcripts. So, who, how, how is Acton Academy regulated by the state, or what does it look like? What what standards do you have to meet? And have you guys? How do universities? look at graduates of you know going back to that whole deal the whole credentialing thing and you know whenever if i apply to sfa or smu or, or texas tech how do those institutions look at graduates of acting academy any different or is it all based on their standardized tests what does that look like so we are we are accredited through the international association of learner driven schools okay um it is the it is one of two accreditation agencies recognized by the state of Texas. So, um, and then we we basically have a few things that, from the learner-driven school standpoint, um, that are required of us. But excellence is is very important to us, and it's very important to our accreditation agency. Um, as far as college acceptance, I. I have not heard of any acting graduates having issues getting into schools. Um, it is typically they, their test scores, et cetera, and full transcripts. Um, also, when you have a learner come to you with six or seven apprenticeships on their uh, transcript, um, that is, it, it's just there's just not a lot of schools that have that. Right. So whether that whether that's on a transcript or a resume, and they're trying to trying to get a job out of high school, um, they have great success. So we haven't run into that as a problem yet. We've just had our first graduate because this is our we're just about to start our fifth year. So, um, but yeah, she hasn't had any issues. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. That's so exciting. All right. So now another question you bring up. So you just had your that first graduate. So. I guess around 17 or 18 years old, whatever. 17. Okay, 17 years old. So uh, of the 25 students uh, ranging in age, are they all in the same place at the same time on campus, just doing different learnings? um, I don't know what you would call it, pods or or whatever. What is, just kind of just give uh, an illustration of what it looks like on a day of class. So we have four studios. They're loosely age-based. Imagination is kind of a little bit closer to traditional Montessori, four to seven years old until they're reading, um, good. And then we have our exploration studio, which is more elementary. Uh, so seven to, I think is it 12 uh, in that 
neighborhood. Yeah. 11, 12. Until they're ready, 13, yeah. When they're ready to move out. Yeah, and there's, so there's certain things yeah. they have to do, you know, badge-wise. And um, then we have Transformation Studio, which are would be kind of uh, closely aligned with middle school ages. Um, and then Launchpad would be, again, closely kind of aligned with the ages of high school. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they have their own spaces, you know, and they kind of uh, they move around as they like in, in those spaces, you know. and. So each studio has a what we call a badge plan, and each learner is completing a badge portfolio. So there are some things that have to be on there because we're a school math, re- reading, writing, math, what we call our core skills, um, pretty specific on what their end goal is. The path to that end goal can look really different for each learner if they want it to. Um, but every studio has a badge plan. When that badge plan is complete, then they're ready to move up to the next studio. So, uh, and they also ha- have the ability to build their badge plan. So not everyone, there's, there are required badges, and then there's a lot of open-ended things where they can build their own badge portfolio. So each one looks a little different, but when they're ready to move to the next studio, they move. So it's not necessarily a specific age. It's when they're ready. Right. So it could be. We've had we've had eleven. I think our youngest was eleven when they moved uh, from the elementary studio to the middle school studio, um, and then we've had one that was thirteen when they moved. So it just really it doesn't matter their age to us. It's when they're ready. And how do the so. kids do with like I know that back in the old days the the homeschool kids they just kind of were socially isolated. And again, that's another thing that parents are afraid of oh my gosh my child's not going to be socially adjusted or whatever just be some kind of a social misfit when they do go to college or whatever Mm -hmm. so being in such a small setting are there do these parents get together do they have things to kind of get the the social life or do these kids become such like a tight-knit cohort I mean I I think that'd be kind of cool too you know I don't know you know with acting kids or something like that I don't know but you know how does that play into the development so we uh, we do try to get the families together and do different do different things together now and then. But um, what we end up with here is we do have these small tight knit groups. Nobody can hide. They have such a such a huge amount of social interaction. They are literally building community, and I mean they're running town halls. They're running councils they're running and and it's not just your top five percent that do all these things it's every single person in the room is involved in in leading socratic discussion in um, problem solving campus-wide issues as a group we don't step in and solve that problem we just equip them with the ability to run a town hall Um, so Yes, it's a small group. It is a small, tight-knit group that becomes very family-like, but also the amount of interaction, and there's not one learner that gets to hide in the crowd because we need them all. We need all of their specific gifts and abilities to get through to get through the day in a successful way. So um, it is a different type of social interaction, yeah. for sure. But Yeah, and it's not like the studios, too, which, I mean, they, they are loosely age-based and kind of somewhat uh, aligned with the traditional model uh, just on the age thing but the, the, the learners go between studios you know they'll they have servant leadership badges they have to complete right and a lot mm-hmm. of cases that's mentoring younger uh, learners and things of that nature you know so uh, it's really cool to see kind of a uh, you know that model where it's not like oh I ascended to middle school now the fifth graders will never bother me again you know it's it's just a family you know and they mm-hmm. uh, they all get along great they play together they hang out and, yeah that's yeah, right. really cool we have this we have two chunks of time during the day. First is the very beginning of the day is free time. So up until our what we call our morning launch, which each studio has a morning launch to start the day. Before that, for 30 minutes is free time. And the whole campus is interacting together. And then in the middle of the day, they have an hour of free time where they, uh, they can be doing basically whatever they want. Some of them are... Uh, getting organized for the rest of the day, but a lot of times they're outside uh, hanging out, playing, um, just being free to do what they'd like to do, eat lunch, those kind of things. But uh, anyway, they get a lot of time together, a lot of time to to 
build social skills for sure because that's super important. So. Very cool. And we try to get out and about in town too. Yeah, so, sure, yeah. Sure. I have killed my night somehow. <laughs> Sorry, folks. There we go. All right. So for the listener out there, I killed my mic for a minute. Hopefully I can edit that out. All right. So I've tried to satisfy my curiosity, and, the, and I don't think I'm that unique. I'll, uh, tell any of the listeners anything that I haven't asked you that you want people to better understand two things philosophically about a non-traditional learning environment, education, why it's important. And I know, and we can recap some of the stuff we've already talked about. I mean, that was my goal was to try to get the listener who's who might be skeptical of, wait a minute, no, that's just too much for me to get a better understanding. So if, if you want to cover some of the philosophical aspects of it, but also just as it relates to, and, and here in Tyler, you know, uh, you know, because you're, you've got, there's so many different, we've got Grace, we've got All Saints, we've got Brook Hill, we've got, you know, Andy Woods, we've got all, you know, TISD, whatever the case may be, what do people need to know about this learning environment and why you all have devoted so many? This is, this is a huge thing, too. I told you about how I came to Tyler. It was a big life shift to design the life I wanted to live. You guys have made some drastic life changes. And, and I wouldn't mind you guys, if you wouldn't, to talk about kind of what made you. I mean, we talked about the, the gymnasts and, and, and mm-hmm. teaching them and, and your own children and not finding that perfect environment for them, but kind of your own hero's journey to go, hey, we just, this is a big matzo ball here. We're about to not only change the way our own children learn and the way we're going to teach them, and the, but we're going, to, we're going to open this up to other children, which is a huge undertaking. So just from there, what have I not asked? What have I been a bad host and not asked that I should have that you guys can now save me from? The, the biggest thing for me is these, you know, your, your, your child um, is capable of so much more than you, you realize, you know, we always want to kind of have these milestones or these certain behaviors that we expect at a certain age. And I mean, they can just do so much more. Like it's such a limited mindset, you know? Uh, so for me, I'm just blown away all the time. And, you know, we do expi- uh, exhibitions every six weeks, you know, and coming in here and seeing, you know, all these young people just running the show, like literally running the show, not hearing from adult the whole time. The parents kind of being like, wow, that, is that my child? Like, they couldn't do this before, you know, couldn't speak in front of public and, and things like that. That's, that's amazing. Um, and for me, for my own journey, you know, I, I hated school and it's in part of our video. If you saw that online, like I, I, I can't think of a minute. I liked school hardly, you know, so maybe recess, you know, so, uh, it was a passionate, I was passionate about not putting my, my own children through that feeling. I felt, you know, our oldest daughter's 20. She'll be graduating with her bachelor's degree this year. And, uh, she loves school. She's type A, right? She loves checking all those boxes and getting yeah. that list done. She feels really good about it at the end of the day. You know, the, the two behind her are much more, cre- like, just not type A, more creative, more social, more, like, you know, give me some uh, give me some boundaries, but let me do what I need to do, you know? So um, it's, been a, it's been interesting to see that they can, you can build whatever your personality is into it and still have freedom too, you know? I like that. I think... Uh Part of the story that we hadn't really talked about was that we we have five daughters. So our youngest is two and our oldest is 20. So we have we have somebody at every stage just about between there, between those two. And um, I think that there was a point as parents when we started to think we're not, we don't want to deliver another curious, um, another curious and excited little investigator to pre-K and see them come home in the next few years. I mean, I think pre-K is usually pretty fun, but uh, we don't want to to see them come home as second graders stressed out because they can't spell some word or because they can't do their math facts quite quite, uh, fast enough you start to realize that those things are really not that important and it's not worth um, it's not worth them losing their confidence over. And I think there was a point at which we just kind of decided we're not doing that again. We're not doing that to another child of ours. Uh, whether we need to homeschool them or whatever we need to do, I'm not willing to, 
to see the spark go out one more time. Yes, we do have a 20-year-old who's extremely successful in the not in the traditional education world. But does she love learning the way she did when she was younger? I don't know. She's getting it back. She's getting it back a little bit now. Um, but it, she lost it for a while there. Yep, she was making straight A's. But was she? But was it because she loved learning, or was it because she loved an A? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am sure, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so part of it for us was we weren't going to do that again, um, and. Yeah. I think her little sister is 17 now. We kind of started to see the light go out in her eyes. And we're mm-hmm. like, something's got to change. Like, we got to right. do something different. So Right. So I think if I had to, to tell parents something, it's that, yeah, Tyler has a lot of great schools and a lot of great teachers. We love teachers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they didn't become teachers because they wanted to ruin anybody's life um, or, or make somebody lose the spark. It's not that is, I mean, we love teachers. We do. Um, I loved school growing up, so I was enough, I loved getting an A. Um, so, uh, Me too, it just didn't happen that often. <laughs> the, the education system in America was, was really made to create workers. Yep. And while the culture of America is changing, the education system has not changed. It will I do think that sometime down the road, the education system will eventually change into something more acting-like. Um, but it's going to take decades and decades and a lot because, and and my challenge is, don't wait. Like your children don't have to be part of that. It's yeah. an old system. It's not made for them. It's not made for the world we live in today. Um, they don't have to stay in it. Yeah. There's other options. Um, so that's that's kind of my challenge is mm. that, yes, they're good. They're good at what they do. They're good at creating workers. But um, your child doesn't have to be just another cog in the machine. Yeah. Uh, they can be yeah. they can be their own person. You know, I'm reminded, have you guys seen that uh, video of um, where it talks about what you mentioned very early on that – you're essentially preparing these kids for jobs that don't even exist yet. And the jobs that exist today, when they start, will not exist by the time they're done. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's a uh, Think Again, or so, I can't remember the title of it, but it's a phenomenal video. It's a little dated now, uh, but they, they keep updating it because it's like the number of <clears throat> children in China who, <clears throat> excuse me, who speak English is more than the number of children in America or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just nuts. And then, again, just preparing for this this world right now that's just literally evolving every single day. So I think what, it, what you guys are up to is pretty cool. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. As you can tell, I probably talked way too much during this interview, but it just, it, it just I get jazzed up whenever I see people that are bringing things to, to mind that, it's not the same old, same old. It is understanding a growth mindset. It is understanding the power of creativity. It is understanding that this traditional idea of sticking a kid in a lane and just force, and just pushing them to run for 30 or 40 years, there's so much more they can offer if they get in the lane of their choosing and then you, you nurture them and encourage them. So, yeah, yeah it has been fun. Yeah, the last encouragement I would say is to the parents is you, you can do it. You know, you can – it's it's scary to kind of let go a little bit, you know. To, let, to it's oh, sure. it's hard to watch your child, like tear up because they're having failure, you know, and they're hitting a roadblock. But you can do it, and they can grow, and they'll be so much better off for it, you know, in yeah. the long run. So, and, and you will be too. And one of the things that I want to stress too, just that, that that to the listener, I'm sure you heard it, but I want to reiterate the fact that you guys allow for self governance. I think is enormous. I mean, for these kids to be able to solve their own problems mm-hmm. instead of a bunch of parents off outside of school either griping at a teacher, griping at a principal because, you know, little Janie got her feelings hurt or something or, you know, whatever the case may be. The fact that you guys are encouraging self-governance, which whenever you live in a representative democracy, that it's of the people, by the people, for the people, you know, that here, it's, you guys just, and so to teach them at such a young age to take on these problems and solve them themselves with a guide, not just, not a complete, you know, uh, autocrat, 
I think that to me is something, going back to the social question I had, the, the skills that, that you guys are teaching there, I gotta believe is just so invaluable. So anyway, well, I think it's awesome. I, I hope that this, you know, bringing you guys on to the Jason Wright Show, it, I hope that you guys get some attention from it. How can people learn more about Acton Academy, about Acton Academy, Tyler, what what's the fir- what are the first steps and how can they find yeah. out about more you, you guys whatever yeah well if you're in Tyler actonacademytyler.com is our site and you can email us info at actonacademytyler.com um, actonacademy.org is the network site the parent site uh, lots of information there if you're not in Tyler there's you know 250 or plus I think Actons around We're the over world 300 oh, over 300 yeah. now okay so um, yeah all around all around the world so awesome yeah. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. Yeah, to thank, you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Erica Dillon, keep, keep going. And hey, we need to figure out a way to tie in the Tyler Innovation Pipeline. I mean, yeah. this I'm telling you, there's something there. Oh, yeah. we are. We're yeah. figuring it out. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good job. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank I appreciate you. you. Thank you. Well, hey, folks, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, do me a favor. Go out to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. It takes like 30 seconds, and it means everything. Also, check out the YouTube channel, The Jason Wright Show. It's out there. I've got clips. I've got book reviews. I've got all kinds of goodies out there, and I really want to grow that channel, so please help me do that. I need your help. And also, lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the Vitruvian Letter, my weekly newsletter. You can do that at jasonrightnow.com. Until you hear from me again, never stop endeavoring to improve. Always and always, I'm Jason and I'm out.